Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're here with us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Doffenbaugh as he gives an encouraging word titled, Armed and On Guard. Praise the Lord. It's a true delight to be with each one of you today. I love you. God bless you. Let's, uh, in Jesus' name, of course, let's say a prayer. Father, we love to uh, have you teach us your word by the Holy Spirit. We want to be transformed into your image. So use this message to that end. And uh, we pray you'll be glorified and everyone that listens will be edified and drawn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm speaking on a subject called Armed and On Guard. Now, uh, once in a great while, I have what I consider to be a spiritual dream. And believe me, I do not try to interpret all dreams. Uh, most dreams are just plain crazy. And, uh, but sometimes you get a good laugh out of them. Now, once I, I dreamed that a Tyrannosaurus Rex was chasing me, and of course, that's the big monster flesh-eating dinosaur in the Jurassic Park movies. Well, this uh, big dinosaur followed me into a big barn, and I pacified it by feeding it cat food. Now, that was a dream, and the only thing you can get out of a dream like that is a, just a good laugh. But you know, the Bible does say, afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And that's Joel chapter 2, verse 28. So I want to tell you about a couple spiritual dreams I've had. Now, about 15 years ago, I think it was, I dreamed that I was in an army and we had a nice little fort on one city block, and about a block down the street was an enemy fort. And about 5 p.m. every night, we would march down to the enemy's fort and fire a few shots at it, nothing serious. Then we'd march back to our fort. And the soldiers in this uh, company of soldiers uh, were very content to call this war. So in the dream, I asked the commander for permission to take a group of soldiers with me and attack from the rear of the fort while they attacked from the front. And I said, let's capture this fort. We can, we can win this fight. Let's wake up and realize we can overcome them and fight to win. Well, the commander got very offended, very upset with me. He would have absolutely none of it. He rebuked me soundly. And then in the dream, I thought, well, what if the enemy realizes what I just realized? that they can win the battle? What if they wake up and realize they can circle around behind us and attack? Well, when I woke up from that dream, I immediately believed that that dream was from the Holy Spirit and it was describing to me the state of the church, a spiritual army unwilling to really fight to win. The status quo was just good enough. And that was uh, That's often the mentality of the church. Put on a little show of opposing the enemy, but don't do anything to rile them up too much. And so I, I realized that the enemy was going to be smarter than the church and would circle around behind us and attack us from several directions at once in an effort to destroy us. I, I realized that most of the church was content to just have a little show of spiritual warfare, but wanted to mainly live in peace and mind their own business. Now, you and I may have a let us mind our own business attitude, but the devil is not content with that. He's going to fight to win. Now, I had a second dream just recently, just a few nights ago. 
And I also believe this dream, uh, of course, has a spiritual meaning. Now, in the dream, I was talking to a man who had a cannon, and he was shooting it at enemies that were far away and blowing them up. And he was quite pleased with his cannon and what it could do. So I told him in the dream, now that you're damaging the enemy like that, you can expect them to come find you and counterattack. So what is your defense? Well, he didn't have any defense. So I started counseling this guy, and I told him that he needed to immediately uh, have sentries posted to be on guard day and night. I told him to arm all of his people with automatic weapons, and I told him to put a tripwire around the perimeter of his camp to prevent to prevent surprise attacks. My advice was urgent because this, this counterattack was imminent. Well, then I woke up, and I immediately felt that I was the man with the cannon. Now, what we've been doing is shipping boxes of my forgiveness books to prisons, 21 Ways to Forgive. We've sent, oh, probably 12,400 into the prison system and adult and teen challenge centers. Uh... And so we're blowing up the works of the enemy. We're not blowing up people, but we're blowing up the devil's works a long ways off, clearing other states with these uh, blasts of the cannon, so to speak, when we ship out these boxes of books and Christian tracts. And that cannon shoots a long way. It shoots clear across America. So it's a very good cannon. However, you know, for several months, I hadn't even asked for prayer in my, uh, in my newsletters and, uh, you know, after this dream, almost immediately, one of my partners suffered spiritual attacks. And uh, his wife had unex unexplainable shoulder pains uh, that really affected her. And she hadn't fallen. There was no reason for it. And the man who works at a post office and uh, or works for the postal system delivers mail on foot a lot and he's just in excellent health and walks a lot but suddenly he got great pains in, in one of his legs and had to wear a leg brace uh, for a little while and uh, there was just no reason for that to have happened either well these kind of attacks can just happen to us and then I started experiencing some really strong counterattacks personally and uh, so has our ministry uh, one example was that a sizable donation was, I was told that it was sent in December, but it got lost in the mail and it didn't arrive till February 6th. We, we never, well, we were surprised when it finally came. Now, as a result of this warning and these attacks, I've been praying a whole lot more in the spirit and I've also been meditating on how to help all of my partners be on guard and armed with spiritual automatic weapons. And uh, you and I, we've got to be on offense spiritually. We've also got to be on defense. We need to have an urgency about spiritual offense, about getting in the, the harvest, so to speak. Now, we're not harvesting corn, right? Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. And so in the same way, he's, he says, pray the Lord of the harvest that the Lord will send out laborers into the harvest field. Well, this is a harvest field of people, of course. Now, there needs to be a great urgency to get that harvest in. And uh, I believe that the church at large has not had 
either kind of urgency, no urgency for the harvest and no urgency for spiritual defense. The Bible says in Proverbs 1, 31 through 33, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Now, there's a difference between waywardness and complacency. And here's the definition. Waywardness wanders off from the Lord. That's when uh, creating distance between God and the believer. But complacency doesn't wander off. It just stands still while the Lord moves on. But either way, that creates a gap between God and the believer. I think the American church probably has done a little of each. Some people have wandered off really far. But on a whole, complacency, where we stand still and the Lord moves on, I think that happens a tremendous amount of the time. And then the church as a whole doesn't have the urgency for spiritual offense, not trying really hard to win people to Christ, and not really being on defense. Now, if we obey the Lord... We're going to be blessed by him and rewarded by him, but our obedience will make the devil mad. In other words, if we obey God and make him happy, we're going to make the devil mad. And so we'll suffer persecution, but we won't suffer harm from God. We won't uh, suffer judgment from the Almighty. And we need to fear God and not fear the devil and his evil hordes. Now, Jesus put it this way. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. I tell you, fear him. Well, that's Luke chapter 12, verse 5. Now, notice the person is still alive in their spirit and their soul after the body has died. The body is just like a glove and your hand is... You know, you can take your hand out of the glove. Well, your hand animates the glove while it's in it, but pull it out and the glove is just limp. That's the way your body is. Your spirit, your soul are uh, animating that physical body. All right, well, let's fear God. Now, my, that was all my introduction. My first point is we really do need a good spiritual off- offense. Most of the American church has not had much of an offense. Few, I believe I'm telling the truth when I say these things now. Few Christians work to win the lost. Few invite anyone to church. Few personally witness. Few win anyone to Christ. Few even give out tracts. And a low percentage of Christians tithe. And statistics say that the American Christians spend more on pet food than on missions. Well... When we live like this, we're basically already prisoners of war. We are captured by complacency. Now, the devil's not going to treat us kindly just because we're not a threat. Enemy armies rarely treat prisoners of war with much kindness. The Bible says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Whatever the risk is, whatever the cost, we must go and make disciples. That's, I'm going to say it again, whatever the risk or whatever the cost, 
we must go and make disciples. I was reading recently a book by Richard Wormbrandt, famous book, Tortured for Christ, and how they would witness in the communist world and be arrested and suddenly disappeared. Their family wouldn't know where they were. Such horrible, horrible sufferings. But they were going to obey Jesus no matter what. Well, recently I was in a church foyer preparing to preach, and I saw a painting, and it was just beautiful wheat fields that were white under harvest. Just, But behind them and over them were, were dark, dark clouds, big old thunderheads, huge, threatening, the kind from which hail comes out of. And it was a powerful picture of what spiritual urgency looks like. See, the urgency of the harvest needs to possess us. You know, if there was a nuclear war, all China would have to do, or Russia, or North Korea, or anybody with a, that wanted to, that had a nuclear weapon, could just explode it in the upper upper atmosphere. It's called an EMP. And that would fry our whole electrical grid. Now imagine what would happen if there was no electricity in the entire nation. Well, in the next world war, billions will die, not millions. The black clouds are building over the harvest field right now. We need to have an urgency. Right now, most prisons still have Christian chaplains. And if they don't have chaplains, they often have some true believer in Christ that is the religious coordinator for that chaplain and can place books and tracts in their libraries or give them to volunteer chaplains. So this is a big open door into our massive prison system, but we don't know how much longer it'll stay open. Uh, There's, you know, a, a, a certain group of people that are trying to label the Bible and Christian morality as criminal, as hate speech. Well, Christians don't hate anybody, uh, but, uh, but people do hate Christians. Fox News on February 7th ran a story about Josh Alexander, who is a 16-year-old Catholic high school student in Canada, and he'd been suspended from school for protesting against transgender people's use of bathrooms, and he'd been saying there's only two genders, He was told that his continued attendance would be, quote, detrimental to the physical and mental well-being of the transgender students, unquote. Well, he went back to class and uh, was arrested for violating their school uh, exclusion order. Arrested, imagine that, just for saying there's only two genders. A Canadian pastor now is facing 10 years in jail because he spoke at a trucker's blockade and they had asked him to do a church service and that's all he did. He did tell the truckers they needed to stand up for their rights, but uh, anyway, he was he was treated as if he was a terrorist and uh, his sentence will be in mid-March. We don't know how many years or what he'll be sentenced Meanwhile, I think the communist Chinese are preparing for for actual nuclear war, third world war. We're in a cold war with China right now, but they're building up vast armaments for an offensive war, just the way Japan and Germany both did prior to the second world war. Now, early in, in February this month of this year, 2023, it took our nation days to shoot down a big spy balloon that was allowed to slowly drift over our country 
and it wasn't shot down until it had completed its mission. Then it was shot down over the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of South Carolina. Well, what are they doing? <clears throat> they're, they're gathering information to know where all of our missiles are for a preemptive strike. When World War III comes, again, billions will die, not millions. Now, Jeremiah and his friend Baruch lived during the fall of their nation, which was called Judah. And this is a Bible story from the book of Jeremiah, not a story, just a, an account. And God was allowing these animal, enemy armies to destroy the nation because of their rampant idolatry and rebellion. And so the Bible says, when Baruch, the son of Neriah, wrote on a scroll the words of Jeremiah the prophet, Jeremiah the prophet dictated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, Jeremiah said this to Baruch, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you, Baruch. You said, woe is me. The Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I'm worn out with groaning and find no rest. But the Lord has told me to say to you, this is what the Lord said, I will overthrow what I have built and uproot what I have planted throughout the earth. Should you then seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them, for I will bring disaster on all people, declares the Lord. But wherever you go, I will let you escape with your life. That's Jeremiah chapter 45. God's massive times of judgments go on cycles, by the way. And I don't have time to get into that. American Christians have had so much peace and prosperity that most have sought great things for themselves for generations. Well, now the nation is so sinful, so far from God, that national blessings from God are being removed. National judgment looms like a dark, burgeoning, thunderhead storm cloud, the kind from which hail and tornadoes and floods pour forth. My heart tells me that we need to put in an all-out effort into winning the lost and discipling them rather than trying to build the perfect comfort zones for long and peaceful retirements. Now we need to ask ourselves, what am I doing to win the lost? What am I doing to obey Christ's great commission? And then we need to decide what we personally can do and do it with renewed passion and all-out effort. Recently, a pastor in Elliott, Maine, ordered 100 copies of a soul-winning booklet I published in 1983, I believe. It was called, uh, the book is called How to Receive the Life of God. It's a 24-page booklet. And she said it was the best soul-winning booklet that she knew of and the best not only for winning people to Christ but for showing new converts what they actually have in Christ, what they need to do next. Just a few days after that, a dear friend in North Dakota called to say that he had taught from that same booklet on two Wednesday nights in his church and people wanted copies, so he ordered 12 copies. And he said they all really enjoyed the book. And suddenly I knew in my heart that I was supposed to reformat the booklet into a book with a perfect binding, that is a glued binding. You see this little booklet is stapled in the middle, and so because of the staples it cannot be allowed into prisons. Uh, but a stapled booklet uh, doesn't look very impressive or classy, but thin little books that have a regular binding do look attractive. They'll have a harder cover, for instance, and a, and a regular glued binding. They'll be much more attractive 
And uh, because they're thin, people will know they can read them quickly. So I'm, I'm really excited about this, um, getting it redone this way. Now, years ago, I asked a lady, do you know if you're going to heaven if you died suddenly? And she said, I actually know I'd go straight to hell. And so she wanted to hear the gospel. And we presented those truths of salvation to her and led her in a prayer to accept Jesus. And radiance broke out all over her face. And I said to her then, well, what would happen if you died now? She, and she just beamed. She said, I'd go straight to heaven. And she knew it. <laughs> and so when I left the house, we were walking out with this two other people that were with me. And I said, this gospel is so beautiful. I want to tell the whole world. Shortly after that, I was on vacation in Oregon. And I became terribly sick. Now, we were visiting Bonnie's parents in Oregon, and uh, I got the most horrible flu, head cold type of thing. So they all left the house, and they were out seeing the beautiful scenery in the Oregon summer. And I was sitting still in a great big chair, and nobody wanted to be around me. And uh, I couldn't hardly move. And the devil said to me, I've ruined your vacation. Now, I didn't hear a, a booming voice, but it, that, that thought was beamed in very strong. I've ruined your vacation. And I just said, I don't think so. And that's where I wrote the book or the booklet, How to Receive the Life of God. I had several uninterrupted days to allow the Holy Spirit to give that to me. And since then, 279,000 copies of it have been printed in 17 languages that I know of. I've given the rights to other ministers and uh, don't know if they ever actually used it, other missionaries. But anyway, uh, it's languished now for about 20 years, just having a, a few thousand printed over the last 20 years. But by republishing this with a proper cover and a, a, a proper binding, I just feel like it's going to explode and, and go around the world again and get translated in new languages. And this time we'll make it into an e-book that can be sent around the world. So uh, if we were to print 5,000 of those, it looks like they can be printed for just 71 cents each. And I'll, I hope to get exact bids, you know, by, by next month, know more about it, and uh, we'll move forward. Now, our tract, Best News Ever, is an abbreviated version of this booklet, and we also have that tract in Spanish. 30,000 in English have been printed, and it's almost time to reprint them again, 15,000 more. Now, I don't get excited about very much, but I'm genuinely, genuinely excited about the gospel, which is proclaimed so clearly in that uh, tract and in that booklet, How to Receive the Life of God. The Apostle Paul wrote, the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Now, the fast food chain Arby's has a slogan, we've got the meat well, we've got the gospel. That's the church should have that saying. And it includes salvation from sin, freedom from addictions, freedom from demons, physical healing, eternal life in God's presence, mansions in heaven, a worldwide family right here, eventually resurrected bodies that will be just like Jesus has. On and on. We've got the meat. We've got the gospel. Now, I urge you, friend, if you're a believer... Give yourself over to this gospel. Delight in it. Spread in it. Proclaim it. 
spread it even at the cost of your life or at the cost of losing all earthly possessions. And if for some reason you're not a believer, accept it, believe it, and accept it. Now, my second point is, what do you need to be on guard from? The same Jesus who told us to take the gospel to the whole world and proclaim it to every creature also told us to be on guard. Now, one of the things we need to be on guard is for is hypocrisy. Jesus said, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And Jesus described the hypocrisy of the Pharisees in great detail in Matthew chapter 23. And you can read all the different aspects of it there. But one of the main characteristics of hypocrisy is to have one standard of behavior for others and allow a different standard for yourself. You see, the hypocrite does not practice what he or she preaches. And Jesus said that the hypocritical Pharisees loaded people with heavy burdens but would not lift a finger to lift the same burden. You see, a double standard. Now, this this hypocrisy develops when people become judgmental, thinking those people should do this or those people shouldn't do that or they should say this or they shouldn't say that. But all the while, hypocrites don't apply those same rules to themselves. Now, you may think the most dangerous enemies of Christians are socialists, communists, LGBTQ activists, radical abortionists, radical climate change zealots, maybe crazed drug addicts, or people who spread their religion through terror. But Jesus is very practical, and he warns against the yeast of hypocrisy, which starts small and grows inside us until we have no discernment to detect our own sins. Now you might say, Jesus, couldn't you have warned us against the communists or against these radicals? Couldn't you have said something about them? Well, they're not anywhere near as dangerous as allowing hypocrisy to grow in you like yeast, expanding until it gets all the way through you and turns you into a hypocrite. The Apostle Paul wrote, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. Now, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, what was going on there, he was correcting this. The Corinthian Christians, when they would have communion, would have it be kind of like a picnic where they'd bring their own food and then they'd eat or drink or uh, even get drunk or uh, but they'd ignore the other Christians they wouldn't share their food and so Paul was saying look if if you don't the the the, the bread that you're taking and the blood that uh, the grape juice you're taking they're symbols of the flesh of Christ and in his blood they're symbols but the real body of Christ is the people that you're with you see that's the real body of Christ. Now, Paul is saying if you don't discern the body, 
you're going to get judged. So I've hardly ever heard anybody teach this that I think is the correct way. I think Paul is saying, look, if you are judgmental of other Christians and you're treating them badly, then uh, that's going to be the root cause of diseases, of physical problems that could even lead to death. Most diseases, a lot of diseases have a root cause. I mean, a car accident probably doesn't, but many other things do. And uh, here's one of them. So we want to remember that we need to treat other Christians as if they were Jesus. Because you know what Jesus said in Matthew 25? He'll say someday, I was hungry and you fed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison you came to see me. And I was homeless. You, you took me in and gave me shelter. And they'll say, when did we see you do it that way, Lord? Well, when you did it to the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. But he'll also say, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You didn't give me anything to drink. Then they'll say, when did we miss seeing you? Well, you didn't do it to the least of these, my brother, and you didn't do it to me. Now, we need to take that to heart. And when you're around other Christians, you might think, oh, they're stupid. They're, I don't like that guy. I don't like this guy. Well, be careful of that because then you're not discerning the body of Christ. All right? Sure, there's people at all different levels of growth, but you want to... Uh, Oh, get away as far as, as far as you can from uh, treating other Christians in a contemptuous way. Now, be on your guard. Practice what you preach. Do what you expect others to do. Behave the way you wish others would behave. And when you take communion, be aware of the real body of Christ, which consists of the believers around you. And I'll say it again, always treat other Christians as if they were Jesus. Now, another thing we need to be on guard from is self-preservation. And this is a really big enemy. Jesus said this, So you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it will not be you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Mark chapter 13. Now, you do not need to be on your guard. See, Jesus said, be on your guard. You're going to be handed over to... Well, you don't need to be on guard against the councils, governors, kings, or your brother, or your father, or your child, nor on guard against all who hate you. Well, what did Jesus say to be on guard? He said uh, you needed to be on guard against the desire to save your old life. Be on guard against self-preservation. Well, I want to stay alive and eat healthy food so that I can serve other people. But I always tell God, you can spend me any way you want, Lord. I'm completely at yours. You want to spend me all at once? <laughs> Go ahead. Make me like Stephen. Uh, you know, the first martyr of the early church. If you want to have me last a long time like John the Beloved, 
outlive all the other uh, apostles. Uh, uh, however you want to spend me, it's okay with me. But see, we don't want to preserve our old self. Now, the old self, that's the one that gets so selfish. And when self-pity comes into our life, what's that? That's a form of self-preservation. Remember, over and over, Jesus said, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And again, he said, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. So that's, that uh, saying is repeated in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, we've, we've got to be willing to lose our life uh, rather than deny Christ. But notice the danger is not that we would be persecuted or hated or that betrayed. It's that we would turn away from God when those things happen because we would be trying to save our life and be unwilling to lose it for the sake of Christ. That's the real enemy, that old self. Now, self-pity is a form of that self-preservation, and it puts the old self on life support. What did Jesus say to do to the old self? He said four things, and I don't have time to give you the Bible references, but he said to crucify it. Another verse, lose it. Another verse, put it off. I think Paul wrote that one. And another one, deny it. So crucify it, lose it, put it off, deny it. But self-pity puts it on life support. So anytime I start feeling sorry for myself, my alarm bells go off. That's an enemy trying to invade the camp, and we need to be on guard. Well, now, uh, Peter wrote this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So armed with a Christ-like attitude. We need to be on guard. We need to be armed and on guard. Now, the third thing Jesus warned about uh, was greed. And Jesus said that uh, earthquakes and famines would come along with wars and rumors of wars. But, you know, Jesus didn't tell us to be on guard about those things. He did say, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, Luke 12, 15. Now, a very subtle lie that tries to invade our camp is this, quote, if you just had more money, you'd be happy. All you need is more money, unquote. Well, we'd be way more happy if we had more intimacy with the Lord. And Jesus said, ask and you shall receive and your joy shall be full. We get way more happy getting answers to prayer. Um, We'd be happy if we walked in the peace and love that come from abiding in Christ. Now, we may need more money, but the lie is in the word all. All you need is more money. Now, that's where the lie comes in. This shifts us away from pursuing intimacy with God and causes us to pursue money as our main goal in life. And, of course, you can't take it with you. Now, if this gets past our spiritual defenses, it will corrupt us into people who serve money, trust money, lust after other people's money, and compromise to get money. And Paul said that greed is idolatry. Same thing. Well, communism and socialism are political forms of covetousness. 
the masses want what the very rich have and covet their riches. They embrace a belief that everything should belong to the collective government, which is supposedly going to justly divide the resources equally to all persons. That's always a big lie. It never happens. So those at the top enrich themselves and make everybody else slaves and, and uh, poverty uh, spreads over the masses. Now, there are different kinds of greed. Notice Jesus said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So the biggest danger isn't what others want to take from you. I think our government's a danger with the way they want to constantly raise taxes. They want to take everything from us. But that's not the big danger. My biggest danger is what I would covet from others Others, other people's greed is not deadly to me, but my own greed, ah, that would be deadly. And Jesus said to be on guard against all kinds of greed. All right, now another thing he said to be on guard about is false prophets and false teachers. He said, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. Now I haven't seen very many people claiming to be the Christ but I've met a whole lot who claim to be Christians and don't live like a, like a Christian should. Paul said in his farewell speech to the Ephesian elders, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be, shepherd, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. That's Acts chapter 20. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Matthew 7. Now, it's not easy for me to instantly discern a false prophet from a true one. And this is because Jesus said they'd come in sheep's clothing. Now, uh, sheep's clothing covers most of the wolf, and only a little bit of the wolf shows. So if you look at the sheep's clothing, you'll be fooled for sure. In other words, a lot more may appear to be right than appears to be wrong. The, the writer of Hebrews, we believe it was Apostle Paul, said, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Hebrews 5.14. We need to be constantly in God's word so that we know what it says and then we can know when someone isn't preaching or isn't practicing God's word. Now, I've been watching several people who claim to be prophets and wondered if they were real or not. And one of them, I would, uh, you know, keep track, try to keep up with all of his different dreams and visions, seemed very sincere, very likable. But uh, I began to question the constant predictions of future events through mostly through dreams. Now, after a while, I noticed that he had predicted four different endings for Nancy Pelosi. Well, I don't see how all four could be true because they're so different. I also noticed that he rarely taught scripture, but mostly used it as a window dressing 
His main dish has always been a dream or a vision predicting some future event. Prediction, prediction, addiction. Prediction, addiction. That's a dangerous thing. Now, that's when everyone wants to know the future. And you know, people that claim that they have a word from God regarding the future, that, uh, that brings in money if people think you're the voice of God showing everybody what will come. But, dear friend, if we knew every event that was going to come and failed to develop an intimate fellowship with God, all that knowledge would prove useless even if it all came true. Now, this nice prophetic man, I call him a nice prophetic man, he'd given many uh, predictions of future events, so many that I couldn't keep track of them, but the ones I could remember, hardly any of them have come to pass. I finally decided that if he's a true prophet, he's a really mixed up, goofed up one <laughs> and needs a whole lot of adjustment, but uh, there's just too much kookiness and uh, and lack of fulfillment. And, you know, when that happens, it just works to turn people off against real prophetic warnings that we need to hear. However, I pray for that man and for his wife. Now, Chris Reed is the president of Morning, Morning Star Ministries, founded by Rick Joyner. He gives a limited number of prophetic words. Once in a while, uh, he'll give one. He gave a prophetic word that our currency is going to be suddenly devalued by 30%, and then uh, what's left will be ripped in half, and then that finally what's left will be ripped into little shreds, and then there'll be some kind of a new currency, um, mainly digital. I think he's the real deal. Now, I believe that the devil wants to get enough kooky, wacky stuff mixed in uh, even if somebody has a real prophecy, but then they allow themselves to give a dream that wasn't even a spiritual dream. You see what I mean? If, they, if the stream gets mixed, if the water gets muddy, then what happens is it turns people off to prophecy in general. But that's a gift that we need. Now, in the early church, uh, God sent a warning through a prophet named Agabus that a great famine was going to spread over the entire Roman Empire, and that happened... Uh, while uh, Claudius was the emperor. You can read about it in Acts chapter 11. So the church made plans then to send relief to Christians in Jerusalem who, who were the hardest hit by that famine. So the prophetic word had a purpose and it resulted in godly action. Now, one of the prophetic ladies, uh, that I, a prophetic lady, I've been checking her out, you know, as far as uh, listening to some of her prophetic words. But one of them, she said that God told her that the king of England had actually murdered Queen Elizabeth so that he could become king. Now, when I heard that, I thought, you know, that lady has absolutely no proof of that. And this is not prophecy. This is slander. Now, the Bible says no slander will have any part in the kingdom of God. And then another prophet, which is a friend, a very close associate friend of the, the man who always tells his dreams, he was prophesying and he said, I made the blank, 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 three letters there. I made the blank you crap with. Now, supposedly that was God saying, I made the blank you crap with. As soon as I heard that, I just thought, dude, I'm not going to waste any more time listening to you. I'll pray for you. But uh, the Holy Spirit ain't going to talk that way because he's holy. 
All right, he's not going to be uh, crude like that. And uh, so the two prophets, the one that I thought was such a friendly, nice guy, and this other guy that he, that uh, that are friends, they like to carry around big staffs, like big walking sticks, like Moses carried or Elisha carried. Now, they carried those things for a reason because they walked a lot on foot through wilderness areas, and you'd want a walking stick. You'd also want something to fend off wild dogs, and probably they used their staffs to kill snakes. Uh, but in the modern world, carrying around a staff like that, to me, to me, it appears to be a Halloween costume. It's like a, a dress-up, little kids dressing up. Real prophets don't need to carry around sticks. Now, in last month's message, I quoted extensively from prophetic visions by two women that I believe really had God-given visions. And I believe in prophetic revelations by the Holy Spirit. But I think that the devil's strategy is to pour out so much goofy prophetic words and actions that most Christians will shun everything that has to do with prophecy. And then when God really does need to use the gift to speak to us, we won't be listening. So we've got to discern. And uh, just because uh, you like somebody or they're nice, or uh, that doesn't mean that you should give them your approval. And if you decide that they're giving false words, you don't need to label them as, as something that's so evil that they'll go to hell. Just start praying earnestly for them. But don't... Uh, don't waste time with somebody that's that's being goofy. All right, my third point is about the meaning of having a tripwire around the camp. Remember in this spiritual dream, and I told you that I don't have very many spiritual dreams, hardly ever. But when I have a dream that there's a very clear spiritual meaning, then I take it to heart. So... I had counseled a man in the dream that had this cannon that was shooting it far off and blowing up the enemy. I counseled him that he better get a defense of his own camp because if he's destroying the enemy, they're going to they're gonna counterattack him. And I told him to have a tripwire put around the perimeter of his camp. Well, now, what does that mean? I believe that means that we all need a clear conscience. That's our best spiritual tripwire. Now, God speaks to us through our spirit, and our conscience is the voice of our spirit. So when the conscience gives you a little signal that, for instance, I'll give you an example. I, I have an RV as an office, and I use the RV there. It's a wonderful office, but it's in a park, and I pray, play, excuse me, I pay one set electrical charge for a month, regardless of how much electricity I use. So I could leave the lights on all the time. It wouldn't affect my income, but it would affect the income of the owners of the RV park. So a lot of times I'll uh, leave the office, I'll lock the door, I'll, uh, get in my car to go somewhere, and I'll notice that an outside uh, light or an inside light has been left on. So I'll stop everything, go back, shut off the lights, why? Because I got a little tiny pinprick in my conscience not to be inconsiderate. And if I ignore that and don't pay any attention to it, then the enemy, you see, can sneak into my camp because I don't have my tripwire working. Now, that's a little thing, very little. 
But Jesus said, one who is faithful in, in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Luke chapter 16. Now God primarily leads us through the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. And if we harden our hearts, if we don't listen to that small prompting of our conscience, then we can deaden our conscience. It's like getting calluses on your hand. You can stick a pin in the callus and then then you can't feel anything. Well, when your heart gets calloused, then the conscience pricks you, but you don't feel anything. And what happens then is uh, your tripwire's not working and uh, you can allow yourself to be unfaithful in big things. Now, what does it mean to post sentries to be on guard? In the dream, I counseled the man, you better post guards, pairs of guards, get them on guard day and night. Well, we need to not just be on guard for ourselves. An attack against one Christian is an attack against all Christians. We need to help one another, guard one another with our watchfulness and our prayers. Now, watchfulness sees the need. Prayer helps meet the need. And Paul told us in Ephesians 6, Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul said that he suffered beatings without number and... uh, Five times he'd been uh, whipped with 39 lashes, three times beaten with rods, once stoned, but he said beatings without number. Now, he needed prayer to be bold and speak up because it would mean another beating. Wow. And he was going to be on spiritual offense no matter what, no matter what it cost him. Spread the gospel, but he was asking prayer for spiritual defense and uh, mainly that, uh, that cowardice would not creep into his life, that fear wouldn't creep in. You see, I, I hope you're getting the gist of this message, is that the enemy might send uh, the IRS to audit you, or some terrorist might try to do something to blow you up, but the, the devil, the real attacks are the ones that are going to come into your heart, uh, the the double standards of hypocrisy or, or greed. And we've already gone through those things. Well, then IV says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people, Ephesians six eighteen. Now, Paul said, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. All right, we're going to be on guard then for one another, not just ourselves. And Paul said, remember, well, I believe it's Paul, the writer of Hebrews, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body, Hebrews 13. 
My fifth point is the meaning of arming our people with automatic weapons. Now, I have a classic sermon called The Faith Gun, and I plan to make it into a small illustrated book to show how faith comes and how it's released. A gun is an instrument created to hold a bullet and release the bullet's explosive power. The bullet has the gunpowder in it, in the same way God's Word contains the revelation of God's will or the explosive power of faith. The human heart is like the chamber of the gun. It's the only place from which supernatural faith can be released. Faith is of the heart. So just as a soldier must get a bullet into the chamber of gun, we've got to get God's Word into our hearts through meditation on His words. As we slowly think about God's Word, then what the lessons are, how to obey it, how to put it into practice, what God is promising, then we honor that word by believing and obeying it. And that humble approach to the word allows the Holy Spirit to help it slide from our heads into our hearts, and then we're loaded with the word. Now, an automatic weapon can fire many bullets rapidly, and we should be so full of God's word that we could speak many scriptures to ward off fear and discouragement, which are two common enemies that want to invade the Christian camp. Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, a bullet in the end of the barrel of a gun isn't going to explode and God's word just stuck in your head is not enough. It's got to go into your heart. And the Bible says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, James 4, 6. So we need to approach God's word with a humble attitude. And in Isaiah 66, verse 2, God says, This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So you've got to have a proper attitude towards the word, not just be trying to use it to manipulate God. Read it to believe it. Read it to obey it. And... Uh, receive both the promises and the blessings that come through obedience. Now, we, I said it already, we must not load up on God's word just in an effort to manipulate God into doing our will, but we ingest God's word with the desire to believe it and obey it and honor God. And that's the attitude required so that God will give us grace that helps his word slide from our head down into our hearts, into our spirits so that we're fully loaded with faith. Now, it takes time to load a gun, and it takes more time to be loaded with God's Word. I like to spend an hour a day slowly reading the Bible, understand, uh, underlining it, making notes. I like to listen to the Bible while I drive my car, thanks to my smartphone that can play through the car speakers. Uh, now, after the Word is in our hearts, it's got to be released just like the bullet in the chamber of the gun, you'd still have to pull the trigger to release the explosive power. And we release that, we fire our faith guns when we pray and then we thank God that we have the answer, Philippians 4, 6. Now, sometimes we can speak to the mountain where we're not even uh, praying, but we're just speaking and releasing the faith, but still has to come from the word. 
1975, a long time ago, I was making 600 a month as an associate pastor, and God boomed out of my chest one day in a, in a prayer meeting. He said, you're going to be moving in right across the street, and money's not going to be any problem. Now, I've never heard him speak so loud ever before or since, but that just loaded my faith gun instantly, and I ran to the window and aimed and pulled the trigger of my faith gun, and I said, I'm going to be moving in right over there, and money's not going to be any problem. Now, the house wasn't even for sale. I only made 600 a month, but I ended up getting that house. The miracle story is too long to tell here, but uh, it, it uh, doubled in value in four and a half years. But you see, I released the faith by saying, I'm going to be moving in right now, and that money's not going to be any problem. And then I had corresponding action, and I had to keep believing through the process. Now, the reason we want to read the Bible before we pray is so that we'll get loaded with the word before we pull the trigger in prayer. All right, prayer is where we're supposed to release the faith, but reading the word and meditating on it and wanting to honor it, trembling at it, all the right attitude, that helps it go from our head into our heart. So you gotta get loaded before you can pull the trigger and release the faith. And so Paul said, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god now when we pray and then we thank god that he's hearing and answering that is a release of faith if we just grumble and whine and we don't have any thanksgiving in there that's that's not uh, faith uh, that's just a click click that that means we did, we weren't loaded <laughs> we, we didn't believe that we we're receiving anything well someone said a scared prayer Ain't no account. There's a long story with that. Now, I've asked God for finances to reprint this little booklet, How to Receive the Life of God with the new binding so it can go into prisons. Um, I've got all kinds of projects in my heart, things that I'm believing for, and I'm just thanking God that he's granted that money. I don't have it in my hand yet, but I believe I have it. I believe it's granted. And so I just wanted to give you those examples as, as ways of using my automatic weapon. You're, remember the dream? Uh, get, it, get, uh, get people are on guard. Uh, put a tripwire around there. Get, get all your people armed with automatic weapons. Now, that was a spiritual dream. It has spiritual interpretation with uh, practical applications. And I want you as my friends and partners to be on your guard. I want you to have a good spiritual uh, offense, believing the God to be, use you to win people to Jesus and bring glory to God. And then uh, be on your guard. Don't let those little things sneak into your heart and uh, get loaded with God's word. We want to be a part of a great offense that runs up the score on the enemy and win millions to Christ. But we want to be on guard with a great spiritual defense so that we live in a true Christ-like character. Now, there's an old saying, I believe it's true, I read the back of the book and we win. Well, that's talking about the Bible. I believe that's so true. Friend, take this message to heart. It was a warning from the Holy Spirit. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com or you can write 
P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon, 97426.